0: Welcome back everybody to another episode of Chai Noon podcast and today we have a very special guest on his name is Hassan and he just released a new single and uh well I mean I could just blabber on inarticulately like I want to do but I think it's better if you just introduce
1: yourself yeah of course thank you for having me it's a pleasure yeah my name is and, uh I released a new single lately. I mean, we could get into the nitty-gritty of the single, but as Garen and uh, uh, you and I discussed recently, it's, you know, racked up a few thousand streams over the past, I think, what, three, four weeks now?
0: Yeah, I think I, I contacted you two weeks ago, and it was at like 10K, and now it's at the 35K on Spotify alone, not counting any YouTube things or anything. So it's
1: pretty ridiculous growth. Yeah, which is wild. Um, I mean... I haven't had that type of growth in, what, like, eight years? Eight years since the last time I saw that type of growth, because I released music in the middle mm-hmm. just here and there, because, you know, life caught up. But to see that type of growth again, it's it's pretty wild. Yeah, so we're going to get into all
0: that, talk about music and growing up, the usual shenanigans, stuff like that. Uh, of course, with me is Hanuk, uh, as uh, he is every week. What's up, man?
2: Uh, um, not too bad. Being better, being worse, but you know. Life goes on. Yeah.
0: Well, I will say that we just got our first snow here in New England, uh, which is better than Old England, I'm sure. But uh, we just got our first snow, so I'm looking forward to getting up and going to work and clearing off the snow on my car like a true American and just being cold as hell. But whatever. I mean, you're in cousin, so you probably just get
1: that. That's, that's, that's nothing new for us. Even though we had ice pellets in the morning, which is something new this year. We haven't had that. Oh, God. It's the end of the world. We're all fucked. <laughs> <And>
2: this- <laughs> This is why I'm migrating south for the winter, for <laughs> the real summer. Dude, yeah. yeah,
0: Saudi Arabia and Southern Africa—that is just like the picture-perfect places to get out
2: of here. So, uh, no, hold on—I'm going back home, going to India, and I'm going back to the other home in South Africa. So, all good.
0: <laughs> yeah, take us with you, please. So, as you might guess, uh, Hassan is a, a music producer who does art. Yeah, he's a musician, and he does a lot of R&B and uh, house stuff. And I'm actually a pretty big fan of Deep House, and I, I like a bit more of the old-school R&B. But uh, do you want to just talk about a little, little bit about uh, your music and
1: growing up and how you got into it? Sure, sure. Um, So uh, just on the Deep House aspect, uh, the Enough Remix Deep House is the first Deep House remix I've ever done. It's just uh, something that I kind of dwelled into after listening to, uh, I don't know if you heard of St. John's Roses remix, uh, that kind of influenced me. But nevertheless, um, right from the get go, uh, I mean, I grew up around professional professionals and my mom was a housewife. So I never really had music background, mm-hmm. kind of self-taught in that aspect. Uh, learned from Bollywood mostly. Um <laughs> Because that's, that's what it was, right? Back when uh, I was in Saudi Arabia, I didn't have much to do, and my family was at school or work. I'd be putting reruns of Shah Rukh Khan and stuff and uh, watching that while my dad was at work, or my brothers, or my sister was at, uh, at school. So I kind of learned from there. There was a Michael Jackson CD growing up that I had on repeat as well in Saudi Arabia, which was a heavy influence. Which CD? Uh, it was the. Um, Before. No, no, no. It was his greatest hits up until that point. Uh, okay. it was, his album was his greatest hit. So it had like everything from uh, his, uh, you know, Jackson Five Days all the way up until the 1990s. God.
0: I remember embarrassing myself ridiculously by trying to do a cover of uh, I Want You Back. But I mean, my friends are polite enough to tell me that it sounded good. But, Yo, you
1: still have that? Because I really want to listen to that.
0: I have a good oh, I have a good falsetto, but I will I will spare the poor listeners' agony for now, as I will not attempt that. I'm sure it actually break the, the podcast. But is this true, Hanuk? Is there not much to do in uh, Saudi Arabia growing up except listen to Bollywood? I don't know. I've never been to Saudi. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Dubai. My bad, dude.
1: <laughs> Fuck. I was only uh, I was only up until six years old when I was there, so I didn't really have much hobbies and much uh, otherwise else to do. Mm-hmm. So when I moved uh, to Canada when we were six, this was right during the Gulf War, the whole immigration that happened from east to west. So we moved here and uh, obviously that was a huge assimilation problem for uh, obviously my parents because, you know, coming into the West and having to assimilate in a whole different culture was a huge thing, especially with, we're not a small family. There was a family of seven of us. Oh, wow. Yeah, we moved into Cambridge, which was off suburbs from uh, the greater Toronto area because everyone knows where Toronto is, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Cambridge is northwest of uh, the GTA about two hours, give or take. So we moved there and had to become accustomed to it. Lived there for about, I wanna say two years and uh, then moved closer in, inwards towards the greater Toronto area to Mississauga, where I am currently, where I kind of grew up uh, and got heavily influenced into music. You know, went to school, started cyphering with friends, you know, uh, during recess time or lunchtime, uh, got introduced into music production, started doing shows.
0: Oh wow, so you started doing shows pretty early, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we had, um, in high school, we had these uh, multicultural shows where, uh, you know, every culture would kind of go and perform. The Punjabis would do their, like, the bhangra routines, and then they would have the Polish dances, and everybody would do uh, a little portion of their culture, and they would perform and have the foods from their culture, et cetera. I'm pretty sure you've, uh, a lot of people or a lot of areas do that, a lot of schools, actually. So we used to have that. And um, so that's where I fi- uh, first got my, I guess, my first gig, one of my teachers from food and nutrition class she heard my quote-unquote my first mixtape that I made back in I guess grade eight Mm -hmm. Uh, and she pushed me to do that so obviously I was you know my nerves were obviously shot just going on stage and having to perform something that I've never uh, performed for anyone for that matter Uh, but that kind of got me into it performing and did my first show there to a very quiet room obviously because I've never had mic presence, never had stage presence, never had any training, never had done a show before. But it was good because the first time you do anything, obviously it's not going to be the best thing that you do, but it's a stepping stone to getting there. So that kind of pushed me into doing more music, releasing more music to the masses or even to my friends, close friends, and then their friends and family listening. And then uh, it kind of just snowballed from there and helping me get out there, getting out of my shell. I was a huge introvert growing up uh, and that kind of brought me to uh, become a little bit more extroverted. Yeah,
0: as a huge introvert
1: myself, I can
0: definitely relate to that. Like, I was an awful musician, so my parents uh, made me want to take one typical instrument as uh, Asians are wont to do in America. It's like, uh, first piano, but I have, very, I have like smallish hands, so I got really frustrated and I hated practicing. So like, you know, I remember one day the piano teacher was like, but me try harder try harder? And it's like, no, I started crying because that's what I did when I get frustrated. I started crying. And then uh, my mom tried to let me learn guitar. I was like, oh, God, I hate playing chords (laughs) because chords are so annoying. You have to memorize all the finger patterns. And so I got into trombone because I have long arms. So uh, but I was not very good at that either. And then they're like, "All right, you don't have to do music anymore. I think our ears have handled enough music for now.
1: Right. So you never kept it up?
0: Um, so actually this past year, I've been learning how to play bass because I think the bass is a really cool instrument. <laughs> so that was my New Year's resolution. <laughs> literally, it was just because, oh man, I love Marcus Miller and I like Flea from the Hot Chili Peppers and a lot of the electronics lines. I guess do have such a cool bass line. I want to learn how to play these songs. Four weeks
2: left. How's it going? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I burned myself out. Like, I played literally every day for seven months. And then I was like, oh, God, it's too hot to stay inside and play bass. And so then I went outside and, uh, yeah, (laughs) I I need to get back into it. But I I did try.
1: Maybe this episode's a catalyst for you to getting back into it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, only four weeks left and two weeks I'll be on vacation. So (laughs) I'm sure you can take a bass guitar to India. (laughs) It's just the casual bass guitar. I'm, I'm sure I can buy a bass guitar in India if I need to. But I guess that wouldn't be a purpose. I'd just be there for a week.
2: What about you, Anik? Did you play any instruments growing up? That you can put it this way, I can barely clap my hands in time. That is my musical prowess. Yeah, I am terrible with music in terms of producing music in any sort. Uh, I think it all stems from back at school in primary school in South Africa. At grade three, you have to decide whether you want to do music or art, for the rest of your educational period. Well, that was essentially what my school gave us the choice of. And as, what was I, nine years old, I knew art had more field trips, so that I went down art and really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I still enjoy painting when I get frustrated or going to galleries and sitting down and just looking at paintings that I don't think anyone else would look at. And so that's my forte, but in terms of anything else with music, I guess I can tell you that we had to go carol singing at boarding school for obvious reasons, being Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And in my final year, and I really stopped caring quite a lot about singing because it was the final time I had to sing My singing, I started to sing all the parts, the highs and the lows, the mediums, whatever. I just sang the whole songs, right? And my two friends Started laughing so hard at how bad the singing was, that they got detention for for laughing too hard. Oh God! Oh, good thing God, uh, this is not
0: a sing podcast. I have come to realize that very quickly. Except for you, <laughs> Listen, you can you can sing. You have a pretty good voice. Uh so, but how, so Jackson Five, Michael Jackson's greatest hits, was that sort of the root of your R and d influences?
1: Um, so I. I not, I mean yeah it had a it had a it had a huge influence on you know stylistically mm-hmm. uh, and I guess songwriting structurally as well and so on so forth but I mean one thing that I that I get a lot is you know there's a lot of eastern uh influence in the music that I'm writing or the chord progressions that I have or the structure of the song so uh, I guess that comes from that huge Bollywood influence, uh, not just the movies, but like the song producers, whether it's A.R. Rahman or whether it's uh, any other huge producer at that time, um, that you know constantly was being played in the household, uh, you know, during my adolescence. So there's just just too many factors and influences. But I but I would say that Michael Jackson was a huge Western influence in the mm-hmm. aspect of how I create songs structurally, and uh, I guess the runs and all the chord progressions, etc., uh, and all of that and how it influenced uh, kind of my music creation. So
0: as somebody who grew up in the middle of like white suburbs, where I was pretty much the only brown kid in school, I had no Bollywood influence. Uh, Hanukkah has quite a bit of Bollywood influence, and I've been trying to get into that more. Um, but what, what song do you think uh, is your favorite Bollywood song? I just want to
1: see if I've recognized it at
0: all. I probably haven't, but maybe Hanukkah
1: has. My favorite Bollywood song in terms of... Uh... You've heard uh, Chenya Chenya, right? Yes, that is one I have heard. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that 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 is probably the biggest impact. Uh, just just because uh, just the structure of the song and it's just so memorable, right from the hook and the bridge and everything. Uh, that 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 one is probably the most influential that I that I can remember right now, or at least my favorite one.
0: Yeah, I noticed that uh, in one of your singles, uh, "Paradise" incorporates a lot of Bollywood influences. It was as like a. Usman uh, is doing some rapping, and then you come in with like a—is is that Punjabi? I'm not too sure.
1: Yeah, That's, I mean it's 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 Urdu Punjabi.
0: Or, or you put it Punjabi
1: that uh, Pakistani people speak that aren't that uh, learn at home when they're speaking to their parents, they spoke uh, they're spoken to in Urdu, but when they're being yelled at, it's Punjabi, so it's that mixture.
0: <laughs> that's cool because you have viento is spanish so it seems like you have a lot of different languages that are coming through so i think that's really fascinating because we're gonna have a language first on later on but it's really interesting that you have all these different languages that come through in your music is that like a conscious decision or do you just sort of go with the flow and sound see what sounds cool when you're writing it
1: i, I think it's i think it's both uh i think it's more uh experience based uh because viento came about after so osman and i are friends from back uh, way back, like his family and my family used to know each other back in Saudi Arabia when I was really young. So, uh, and then we touched base again when we got into Canada. So it was one of those things. Um, but we went to Miami. Um, I want to say two years ago. And um, being in Miami, obviously there's a huge Spanish uh, market music there. Mm-hmm. And just being influenced by being in Miami, being around uh, you know Spanglish and reggaeton and all of that, that heavily influenced uh, consciously and subconsciously the music that I was going to create for at least that period of time until that, I guess, that influence wore off. So right when we got back after being in Miami, um, Viento just came about. I think it was the first day right after we landed uh, back in Toronto. We got into the studio and Viento just came about before, you know, I forgot the language, um, I'm not fluent in Spanish whatsoever but I knew enough after that trip just communicating with the locals there and um, to kind of build uh, that song and then that heavily influenced Viento and we just released it um, and then yeah that that kind, of, that kind of was just influenced by that experience. Cool, so
0: you've done something in Spanish, you've done something with uh, Urdu Punjabi, of course you've done stuff with English, like uh, do you think this is, I? I'm guessing Urdu, Punjabi and English are going to be your two main languages, but are you going to think, do you think you're going to constantly be utilizing those in your, do you think that's part of your style now, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. um, So I'm not opposed to being influenced, whether it's language or whether it's stylistically from so many different artists. Uh, I, I think you're so constrained when you're creating just primarily, you know, English songs or primarily just Punjabi songs or primarily just Urdu songs in terms of, uh, the dialect and the intonation in your voice and how you can pronounce and say different things. So certain phrases in different and certain languages don't exist in other languages the way they are. Say you would say something in Punjabi wouldn't translate perfectly uh, that you would say in English. So I guess in that aspect, yeah, I would be a lot uh, open to being influenced by different languages. Like I've always wanted to create something with Arabic um, because, you know, growing up in Saudi Arabia, I'm not fluent in Arabic. I know how to read and uh write a little bit but listening to shape khalid you know ayesha and all those songs there's something i want to kind of dive into and create an arabic song as well Um, but again it it furthers you as an artist uh taking just these different uh, languages and trying to incorporate them into your uh, own art stylistically and kind of progresses you rather than becoming stagnant Uh, i think that at least that's my look at it
0: God, you both are just, like, way too cultured compared to me. <laughs> I feel like every guest is just, like, much more cultured than I am. I just have English and nothing. <laughs> but it's fun. It's, it's fun, like, um, just talking with other people. Oh, do you know anything? No, I don't know anything. And then, you
2: know, it's all, it's all good fun. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know any Arabic, so don't worry.
0: <laughs> yeah, and your business is, or your family's still in Dubai, right?
2: Your yeah, we, no one speaks Arabic in the office. So there's more Gujarati in the office than anything else.
0: <laughs> well, at least you know Gujarati a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> but that's more than I know with Canada. So I'm sure next week will be a fun time. So I wanted to like, uh, talk a little bit more because we talked about some Bollywood and some Michael Jackson. Of course, that's like a little bit older. But I know it's like uh, when listening to your songs, it seemed to remind me a lot of The Weekend and some R&B artists similar to that. Is that sort of one of your main influences as well? Because R&B is, you know, usually these days, it's like... What I listen to is mostly rap and uh, electronic and uh, some funk, more upbeat things. But when I want to, like, if I'm in an emo phase, which I can be, you know, I go for these sad, R&D, soulful songs and things like that. And of course, not all your songs are like that, but uh, Habits was a song that I related to because it reminds me of, like, breakups and things like that. And it just gets into all these sad, wistful feelings.
1: Yeah. The weekend, I mean, you touched right on it. The weekend is a huge influence um, especially because he's from you know the Toronto area, and that sound resonates so much here within local artists. like uh, I'm not sure if you heard of Majid Jordan, like P and d's from Mississauga as well, and all these uh, division as well. and all these artists have that ambient R and b sound. Uh, yeah. It's kind of eclectic a little bit in that sense. Uh, so that was a huge, uh, you know, influence shaping Toronto's sound. A lot of the artists were kind of grasping at those, uh, at the grassroots of that sound, and kind of creating something from it. Uh, and everybody, you know, kind of segmented in their own way what that ambient R and B sound meant to them. Uh, and yeah, so listening to you know House of Balloons and Before Even Trilogy when Weekend came out with, um, you know, High for This or Week, uh, Wicked Games or The Morning and all those tracks, they were kind of heavily influenced from. Uh, to me personally because I was kind of at that growing phase as an artist trying to not figure out my sound but more in the sense to creating that rendition of my sound that would become what it is now and listening to Weekend during that time heavily influenced kind of the ambient R&B, indie sound.
0: Cool, cool. So. My favorite song uh, that you've come out. We'll talk. We'll talk about your newest singles soon enough. But my favorite song was uh, "Habits," like I mentioned before. Can you talk about like the thought process behind that? I just want to see if uh, my emo ness was justified.
1: <laughs> right, right on. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, habits. Habits. Well, all of my songs are obviously experience based. Um, habits it was obviously experience based as well. So that that song was written or it came about at a point where um, so. I'm with my current girlfriend right now for about eight years now, um, mm-hmm. which is which is a long time, obviously. Uh, so obviously, over a period of time, you're going to have issues, you're going to have fights, you're going to have whatever ins and outs, right? So habits came about at that aspect where I felt like you become so accustomed to a person, uh, whether it be a girlfriend. It doesn't have to be a girlfriend. It could be any significant other. It could be any relationship where your habits and just your daily just your daily being and stuff that you do is so revolved around and not consciously as well subconsciously you do things based on another person and their actions so uh, that's where that song came from and the main basis of that song was that having to create new habits uh, because you're so because something else is so embedded in you and the way that you are is such a difficult thing to grasp and having to relearn yourself after committing so much of your time and your influence and the way you are and your behaviorisms uh, to a certain person.
0: Too real. Too real, man. Good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did 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 uh, did it touch upon kind of what you were thinking or your take on it? I would love to hear um, that.
0: So, I mean, obviously, I took away with it like a sort of like a, a recent breakup that I had where I, I was just feeling like this sort of, uh, you know, it's like, it, it thinks of all the good times, but it's like there's, of course, some reasons why this breakup happened. So I think it really cut to that. But it also it's sort of like, yeah, habits, they're hard to break. That's sort of like the main line in the song. Habits are hard to break. And so I was used to like uh, talking to this girl a lot. And then, you know, like now when I listened, when I hit a certain time of the day and uh, she doesn't call me, then it's just like, oh. She's not calling you anymore, but now it's like, all right, it's not really there anymore. It's just, I guess, a habit that I have to break. But it's weird because I'm very, like, even though I'm I'm sort of, a, I sort of, like, say, oh, I don't care. All I want is freedom. I live a very, like, structured lifestyle. I, like, go to the gym, go to work, things like that. That's just how I have function best. And so, I mean, like, when I had my habits broken, not even in the romantic sense, just in a life sense, like, I felt it, I felt apart. So maybe some habits are just like good in order for me to function properly. But I mean, what about you, Hanek? It's
2: what well, uh, I mean. I'm someone who's a bit more eclectic with life, and I don't really plan or have that many habits apart from sitting at the dinner table for every meal that I can.
0: Yeah, you have pretty like a uh, freestyle. You like go out, or I don't know. I guess it's just mostly because I'm old now. I'll
2: blame it on that. I'm blamed that, that I'm old now. So, well, I don't know. Like in the sense that when I have habits, I like I I try and recognise them, and then first thing I try and do is like stop doing it straight away, no matter what it is, regardless if it's good or bad, because I then find you know it means I'm not doing something new or I'm not adding variety to my life, and that's my own issues. Like I should try and stick to certain things a bit longer. But, you know, I find it being a good thing sometimes. Like, you know, recently I quit my job to campaign every day for a political party. And, you know, as I mentioned to you before, I haven't been happier like doing this, even though I spend my days in the rain knocking on doors in the middle of winter in the UK. It's just more fun. But for me, I'm also quite happy because... It ends soon, and then I have to go find something else to do, and must and get on with. Sounds like you're just like a
0: habit breaker, and I'm. I think uh, I can relate to this song a bit more because, like, I find habits so hard to break personally. Like, especially with a relationship and things like that. It's just you know, you're after something like that. You know, you're just constantly thinking, "What could I have done better?" and things like that. Because I feel like if one person says, then it's done. Like, uh, especially if it's early on, and then this one kind of was like it was only six months, then it's just like, I don't know, I didn't fight that hard because it was already difficult enough before that. But still, there are certain habits that formed, like talking a lot. Um, that, uh, you know, like even now at 5 p.m. Uh, last week, I was like, oh, maybe she- oh, I have to be here at a certain time, a social call. And I was like, "Oh shit, I don't have to do that." Oh well. <laughs> but now it's like life goes on. But before, in the beginning, it was just like, "Ah,
1: fuck." That's interesting. The take that you put on it, and I—I I mean, I mean, with respect to the habits, um, I mean, there's certain habits that you have, say with a significant other, that no matter what you do, there's kind of—it's not something that is a negative aspect in that sense. Like you said, like you know, you had a call uh, with your ex-girlfriend now at that time, and I'm sorry about that, by the way. Um, um, It's fun, (laughs) thanks though, I appreciate it. No worries, Right, it it was a good habit because during that time when you were with her, uh, it it was a means of communicating and that was so important for your relationship. So that was a habit that you kind of got ingrained in order to work on your relationship. So when that ended, you had to kind of grow out of that habit. And it obviously reminds you of the time, uh, not the bad times, but the fact that you were working towards a greater good for your relationship. So having to work yourself out of that habit, I think that hits harder than any of the negative habits that you have with that person.
0: Yeah, it's more like a remembrance, like wistful. Mm -hmm. So usually I listen to very upbeat uh, music, but sometimes in moods, I listen to uh, more soulful music like this. And uh, I mean like some red hot chili peppers or stuff like that, where it's a bit more depressing. But, you know, it's, being a human, you're going to experience all the facets of emotion. You can't always be happy unless you're just mollied out of your mind. And then, I guess, <laughs> <bags. laughs> <laughs> that's another problem entirely. <laughs> <Right on. laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about your singles. So like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, it just broke 35K listens on Spotify. And uh, that's more than on your other singles on Spotify. Uh, even though your YouTube videos, you have quite a lot of views on some of your singles like Paradise and Habits. Uh, but man, that must have been pretty exciting. But you mentioned that you wrote it like uh, in a place where you weren't sort of the best mentally. Do you think that sort of made this so relatable?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think the fact that something that I experienced, the uh, majority of the people have gone through are going through, will go through, you know, obviously, respective to the situations, uh, but that was something that I went through with uh, with another person. And then what happened was obviously the lyrics of the song are very verbatim to that situation. But the fact that that song was written the night of that situation made it so pure that it wasn't a session where I sat in the studio and I was like, okay, you know, I have a certain type of song that I'm going to write and I have a certain procedure and a certain structure and this is going to be released, this, this, and this. This wasn't even a studio session that I was planning. It was more so written on the drive home after that conversation that I had. Uh, And most of the lyrics from the song were actual conversations that were had between myself and that person. So then the fact that those conversations... Got translated into the lyrics. You're right uh, when you say like you're in that. That's what makes it so relatable because uh, a lot of the lyrics are things that people have, you know, themselves felt or said or be or have, you know, have had said to them in that same context. And uh, I feel like that's the reason that it became so relatable to people. That that's why I guess it has 35,000 streams uh, so far. Uh, so far, sorry. Um, just because that song is so relatable and how it came about, um, it was a, it was a lot different than the structure of songs that I've created. All my other songs, The songs just kind of came out of, I guess, came out of thin air for that con. Uh, in, in spite inspired better words, but mm. um, yeah, it was it was on. Honestly, it was like an hour or two session, if you can call it that. It was more like a therapy for me, to be honest, because I needed to vent. And you know, went into the studio. I was actually the only one in the studio creating that song at that time, and. Once I recorded it, I mixed it, master and I released it the following day through my distributor, and then the song was up. I think a few days later. Wow. So there was a plan behind it. There was no, uh, you know, this is how I'm gonna market it. This is what's gonna happen. It was just more like I need to get my feelings out or vent or at least get rid of the words that I have inside me and just put it out on uh, put it out on. In the through music and then just put it up and uh, there was no search structure or marketing or plan or whatever was going to happen with the single was kind of up in the air.
0: Yeah, of course, if you want to listen to it, search for Enough by HSSN on Spotify or even on YouTube or SoundCloud and you'll be able to find it. But it is a very raw song. You can definitely feel uh, a lot of the emotion that's coming through. And that's why I think it's quite relatable um, I also did enjoy the Deep House remix because I'm a Deep House fan. Um, so you said you're just experimenting with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the Deep House remix came about uh obviously it was a it was about a month or a month or so after this song was released. Um I was listening to Spotify and um the Discover Weekly gives me these new recommendations, which I love their algorithm by the way, about listening to new songs and new artists that come my way every so often. Um, oh, yeah. based on the based on the playlist that suggests me. So I came across the Roses uh, remix by St. John. If you haven't heard that, it's a really nice Deep House song. I think you'll really enjoy it, Kiran. Uh, but so that that song played and automatically uh, it triggered something in me. I was like, well, you know, if I create a Deep House remix to Enough, at least uh, I'll get some sort of vibe more so than the r and out of that song. And I just went into the studio. I pitched up the vocals. Um, I... Through the deep house drums on it, and uh, you know, it was literally created in bed on my MacBook, uh, and then I obviously took it to the studio the next day and uh, refined it a little bit with the transitions, drops, the drums, mixing, and all that stuff. And uh, it was just a, it was just experimentation. I've never done deep house production before, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool uh, concept to grasp uh, and kind of work on, um, and it taught me a little bit more about you know deep house and the roots because i started to listen to a lot of deep house music I, i've listened to edm music before ts joe i've listened to uh, a lot of the you know even i guess the vocal edm pop type of uh tracks, yeah. but i was never heavily influenced by them it was just something that i used to listen to when i want to be in an upbeat mood uh so kind of creating that um deep house uh production was a was a completely different experience for me it was pretty cool
2: Oh no, that's that's really cool actually. Um, you said you had to learn how to produce deep house. What does that mean? Like, how is that different to produce? Like, what is the difference in producing different genres of music?
1: Because right. so, no, good question. Uh, all different genres. There. I mean, there's a lot of overlap in how you produce, obviously, sonically. There's a lot of a lot of overlap, but uh, now with respect to deep house as opposed to R&B or slower R&B, which is at a slower tempo. Uh, for example, it could be anything from you know 70 beats per minute to 80 beats per minute for R&B. Uh, I think that's where enough is sitting at, um, as opposed to deep house, which is all the way up to 140 plus uh, beats per minute tempo. So just getting the swing right the picking the right drum sounds picking the right snares as opposed to creating something for R&B it's completely different um you know for a producer who produces R&B uh it'll be a completely different change in uh, what they're doing when they're producing deep house which it was for me because you're creating at a different tempo you're putting different sounds together you're EQing it differently so when you're EQing um You know any sound for that matter. You're editing the frequencies of it to accentuate different frequencies, or you're cutting different frequencies in that sound. And how deep house is, um, you know, mixed in terms of how it's eq'd, is completely different to how R&B is eq'd. So when R&B is eq'd a little, just like I guess a crash course. When R&B is eq'd, you have a lot of you know velvety mids, which are you know around the 500 hertz frequency. You're increasing those to kind of provide that. To provide that mid uh velvety sound in spite of a better explanation as opposed to deep house where you have a lot of bass and treble uh what they call it is the smile uh which is pretty much you're increasing the lower frequencies which is the bass frequencies and the higher frequencies for the song which is the treble frequencies and it kind of creates like a smile curve on the eq so sonically i guess that's how it would differ in one aspect Obviously, there's a list of different things I would go into why it would be so much difficult for somebody who's a deep house producer to produce R and B and vice versa. And you're all self-taught, right? Yes, yes, a lot. <laughs> that is
2: intense.
1: Uh, taught by Google. Oh
2: okay, yeah, I was going to say that there are words there that, that I understood, <laughs> but again, like for me, it's a totally different world. And you know what I definitely got from that was your enthusiasm and. Like how much effort and care it takes to put in, to creating music, which is something I guess I never really appreciate at all. And when you're going th- through and you're telling, as you were just saying, like what you said, the EQ and doing the smile. Like for me, I've I, I know on my phone I have had always had the option of messing around with, it and I've just kept it flat for every song,
1: no matter what. Right on. So now if you check your phone and you see the EQ, you probably see like four different bars. Uh, So if you just increase the left side, increase the right side, that looks like a smile, right? So that's kind of the sound of where a lot of EDM and deep house comes from. That sonic uh, representation would be a smile in that EQ.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I had a friend who tried to make just house and trance and uh, it's really hard. Like you were saying, like one song took him for just trance, no vocals it took him like three months and then it was, he just always felt like you had to be a perfectionist. So is that hard for you to like, Oh, I have to get this perfect, perfect, perfect. And then it's just like learning to like go.
1: Oh yeah. And and that, that was a huge issue back uh, when I was kind of, in the beginning stages or I guess mid stages of creating music, I always had to, um, you know, I had to make sure that everything was perfect to how I envisioned it and how I was hearing it in my head. Uh, and if it was a little off, um, then obviously I'd go back and try to correct it as many times as I can. You know, a day went by, two days went by, a week went by, and I'm just fixing that one facet of that song. But the issue there was that nothing is going to come out exactly how you picture it in your head if you're not experienced enough or trained enough Uh, to work on that aspect so you know whether it's sonically you're experienced or trained enough to edit a specific sound to how you're envisioning it Um, so that's what a lot of new artists get caught up in. they have this kind of perfectionist uh, vision of a song or a record or something that they want to release and they get so bogged down by wanting to have it sound exactly like they're envisioning it that they overproduce a lot of the stuff that they do uh and they work on it so much where they get ordered the song that they're working on yep and, it gets shelved. and then they work on something else and that'll take a few more weeks and that gets pushed to the back and then they'll work on something and ha- they have all these half-assed projects that they yep. never which yeah, it's would have been a lot better if they just you know were like all right let's just fix it release it as it is get some feedback from people who are listening to it instead of just picking it uh, into, into your own songs, and then take, take the feedback from other people and work on a new song or a new record and then implement it into that and just keep going from there.
0: So I want to ask you one more thing about the music. Like, um, so again, going back to my friend uh, who was making this, uh, one of his problems that he like he was a perfectionist, but he also was sort of very disciplined and now he had to be disciplined with this. And you've been doing this over many years. Like, is that, was that sort of an issue with your family or were they fully supportive of you pursuing this musical idea and career?
1: So, um, my family has always been supportive, which I'm thankful for, because uh, you don't see that a lot in South, South Asian households. You don't, you know, mm. like, oh, you have to become a lawyer, you have to become a doctor, you're doing anything arts related, you know, you're, you're obviously shunned or whatever the case is. Uh, no, but in my family, it was, they were very supportive now. Outside of my family, obviously there was a lot of you know pushback. You know, why is he doing music? Whether it's religious, whether it's cultural, whether they feel like you know there's no there's there's no ends to a mean to it, whatever it is. But my family, immediate the family, um, they were very supportive. You know, my parents were the first ones who bought me my uh, I guess my rig for the mic and all the audio interface to start recording. Um, and that was a huge push for me to start putting you know music out. But uh, no, I've never had I've never had that type of pushback from my family, uh, and I guess I kind of owe it to myself because I was I was able to prioritize my life. Like I did go to university, I did finish, I did everything that I was supposed to as the stereotypical South Asian child. But I always prioritized my education because I was in the back of my head, you know, what if music doesn't work out, or what if I can't make a living out of it? I still need something that I'm passionate about, uh, opposed to just the art side that I'll be able to sustain, whether it's financially or even be happy just doing for the rest of my life.
0: So you're saying we shouldn't quit our day jobs to pursue podcasting full
1: time. <laughs> Damn. I didn't think I was mm-hmm. being here, but like... <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 obviously, I think you guys do a great job. Otherwise, I've listened to a few your episodes before. Uh, thank you, thank you.
0: <laughs> no, it was just a joke. It's no. uh, I code, I code right now because I like I like having income. <laughs> so, but I will say that I, I have the opposite problem where it's like uh, I don't care if this is perf- this code's perfect at all. Does it work? It works. All right, deploy it. Fuck it.
1: <laughs> so let me ask you something. When did you guys start uh, podcasting? It's a huge thing, and there's a, like everyone's doing podcasting, but like there's a few people like yours who kind of go uh, into podcasting and keep up with it for as many episodes as you have and still keep the, you know, listener enticed into whatever guest you're talking to, whatever uh, whatever topic you're talking about. So how how did you guys get into it? How did you guys meet, first of all?
2: Uh, we haven't <laughs> met, is the f- thing to say. I mean,
1: we meet, if you want to say that.
0: So I did like a video game videos, uh, Dota, Dota 2 commentaries, like six, seven years ago like 2011 to 2012. And I was like, oh, they all get into video editing. And then I realized that doesn't pay anything. <laughs> so I was like, I took a backseat. But I liked speaking and I like talking to people and things like that. Even though I am a massive introvert, the internet makes just things so much easier. So then um, early this year, I was like, oh man, coding is getting kind of boring. I need something else to do besides like switching jobs and hoping, always hoping for the perfect coding position where I'll just become CEO and take over the world. I mean, I mean, help everybody not take over the world. Um, but yeah uh then i was like oh i like talking about these things and then uh hanuk listened to the first episode and he i said come on join and then the second episode we talked about food and it was uh love at first sight i guess i don't know fuck love at first skype exactly but i'm curious why you decided to join
2: hanuk just uh i just got you one you over i think when did we start recording about three months oh. ago Yeah, September-ish. September-ish. So that was just after I finished writing about making friends on my blog and how to make friends. And, you know, I realized that I haven't really made any new friends in in that, like, 12-month cycle. And for me, that's kind of scary, not constantly meeting people, talking to new people, and putting myself out there. And so I thought, right, I need to like, kickstart my life, and I thought, right, well, if I join a podcast, you know, that's something interesting. I never really shut up once I get going, and just thought, sod it, why not? Everyone does podcasts, and I listen to enough to think I know, have some relative idea how to talk to someone else, so, yeah, that's it.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, it's just like uh, being disciplined, Uh, like with music, but without... (laughs) Some, without nearly as much time commitment, we sort of freestyle a lot of things, because I think it's, that's how we like to do it. We don't like to be very disciplined.
2: I was going to say, kind of is a very nice way of putting it. Yeah, kind of. But,
0: I mean, yeah, like, we've been getting on some cool guests, and you're a cool guest, and we're hopefully getting more cool guests soon, so it's, I think think people like it.
1: I mean, I I listened to a few episodes, I did, I did, I liked it.
2: Which episodes do you listen to? Just out I listened, of curiosity,
1: uh, I listened to the recent episode you did with um with that lady. I forgot Simmer. her name. Yes, Simran, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, I listened to that about a few days ago. That was a really interesting episode. Um, and then I did listen to your first episode.
0: Yeah, where I was just whining about my name. <laughs> well, that's that's what happens when you grow up in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> just to whine about white people mispronouncing your name like uh
2: we did earlier before we started recording <laughs> so <laughs> i know
1: that also. i know i know that also. i
2: was gonna say people still mispronounce your name in big cities don't worry <laughs> yeah but soon we'll be we'll be on tour
0: and you'll be on tour and everybody will know the names
1: what's the what's the worst you've gotten
0: worst i've gotten was uh so i was like i had a neighbor i was like six or seven and he called me Kidan, and my name doesn't have D. I was just like, "What is this?" I didn't. Of course, I didn't have that thought. Being six, I was like, oh, that's not my name." In that little mini me voice, it's like, oh, Mike, why are you saying that?" <laughs> <laughs> but that was the worst. Uh, but these days, I'm I'm more uh, inured and jaded and old. But <laughs> I want to talk about a little bit your, about your side projects because you actually are the owner or the founder of a wedding business, Noir Studios. That is pretty cool. Especially, like, we've talked about Indian weddings and how I wanted to be, like, mind very low keep but Hanuk wants to do, like, a giant, giant thing with a billion people. You say giant, I say a regular Indian wedding. <laughs> <Giant>. <laughs> but how'd you get into that? That's really cool. Noir Studios on Instagram.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, so, Noir Studios came about... So, my brother has been doing photography for about... I want to say a decade now, a little more, maybe. Um, and uh, he always wanted to get into professional photography. He always did it as a, um, you know, as a hobby. And uh, I've always been obviously intrigued with everything visual. So, you know, whether it's photography or videography, I always had a camera with me, so I was always shooting stuff. And a lot of the music videos that you've seen are directed by myself. If not, most of the scenes are shot by me. Um, so... I always had a grasp of how to do cinematography and videography. Uh, and, you know, I partnered up with my brother and we were kind of introduced into the wedding industry in Canada, which is very closely knit, very nice industry. Um, you know, all the businesses, all the vendors, all the people here who run wedding centric businesses, they're very nice and they were very accommodating, helped us transition into it. One of my good friends, had he helped me kind of get my first gigs into the wedding uh business and we shot a few weddings uh, about a few years ago i love doing it apart from you know just how tough it is to shoot a wedding uh like setting a like planning say an indian wedding or a punjabi wedding uh how tough it is to just shoot a wedding uh, and that kind of steamrolled into something that we do on our you know on our time that we have, because my brother works—he's a—he's a chartered accountant, and he has a full-time consultancy job. Uh, you know, I have my own business that I run as well, apart from just uh, music and videography. I have my own marketing business that I do through my—I guess my traditional education. So this is something we do on season, which is during the summer months, uh, which is kind of changing now because. Weddings are happening all through winter as well now, but we kind of got introduced to it a few years ago We branched and created Noir studios because uh, we had a certain vision of what we wanted to create apart from just weddings Because uh, primarily that's what we do right now, but we want to branch into more creative shoots as well um, We've shot for I'm not sure if you know who Myra Khan is from Pakistan I do not know So she's a huge I guess, a Lollywood actress who worked with Shah Khan and like race in a few movies and she's transitioned into Bollywood. So we got, we were a personal videographer, photography team as well. So it's just kind of serendipitous how that happened. It was nothing that we were planning to or we had some sort of, you know, business plan going into. We did a few weddings and then a few more weddings and then we got word of mouth marketing and then a few more weddings called. And then uh, we've just been doing that on our own season. And it's it's been a really, I guess, fruitful thing to do because it's such a memorable point in a person's life that they want to remember and just being able to provide them the visuals and providing the the you know photography or videography, videography for them to relive that it's pretty uh it's a pretty it's a pretty fun thing to do it's a pretty rewarding thing to do uh, i can imagine
0: so, uh actually i actually had one question so what's the craziest demand that somebody had for your wedding business Oh. I don't think he's allowed to say that. Oh, anonymous or off the record or second craziest, if the craziest thing is too. <laughs> I uh, mean,
1: no. we had a lot of crazy demands, not from obviously the bride and groom themselves, because they're generally pretty nice because they're the one, you know, getting the vendors. Uh, but from their like family members and stuff, we've had some crazy demands. Like, so... You've probably seen, like, your, you know, your whether it's your uncle's or your mom's or your dad's wedding videos where uh, the videographer back in wherever, he's zooming in and out of the food while people are eating. So we don't do that, obviously, because it's, you know, it's rude. When people are eating, you don't want to, obviously, take shots of them. Uh, It's something that you just don't do. We've had a demand where that person wanted the footage of every single person eating. Just obviously there's no way for us to do that there's no logical way for us to take a video for every single person in that 600 person wedding eating uh, just so they can claim that you know they fed everyone there so that's i think that was the weirdest and the wildest demand that we've had at a wedding i mean it's only 600 people i
0: mean i mean that's like that's like 60 times the amount of people i want in mind jesus
1: i should know better
0: <laughs> is 600 the average size
1: 600 is the average size yeah for a south asian wedding oh god 600 is pushing it for I, any other type of wedding. i'm gonna
0: elope. i'm eloping guys
1: <laughs> I, I don't know about you but I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for you know smaller intimate weddings but that's just that's just me
0: yeah uh, i don't want to talk to relatives who i've met twice in my life and they ask me you know when are you gonna get her pregnant or whatever when i get married i don't know fuck (laughs) this is just like something i don't want to actively think about it's just way too stressful but is it like usually quite stressful but afterwards you feel just good
1: oh it's really stressful it's really stressful uh it's i'm not not trying to i guess over exaggerate but it's one of the most stressful things i've done um specifically because there's a concept of like a next day edit i'm not sure if that's incorporated into the wedding industry where you are right now Uh, the next day edit is pretty much so say let's let's take a let's take a Punjabi wedding for example you know they'll have their three four pre-events before their wedding reception so the next day edit is obviously whatever happened the highlights of those three three four pre-events condensed into like a three minute video that is shown on their reception so having to film that over the three days or four days having to edit that and show that at the reception, which is, you know, you don't even have more than 24 hours to be able to put all that together is a very stressful thing to do. You know, you're editing 12 hours, 16 hours uh, that day just to get that out. So you can obviously showcase your work instead in front of the people, but not just that the bride and groom are going to be reliving those moments on their reception with the people who weren't necessarily at those events. So that's a very stressful thing. After the wedding finishes, you're you're very calm. You're relieved, obviously, because you have an infinite amount of time not infinite but a limited amount of time to edit um but it's during the wedding itself especially with like a next day edit or even a same day edit for that matter which is the same thing but you're editing it for the same day because the reception's at night those things are really stressful and having to capture everything because you obviously don't get retakes of anything it's a wedding it's a live event it's not a studio shoot
0: so yannick this is why you shouldn't have a two week long wedding this is why i should have like a three-day wedding
1: (laughs) a two week long wedding no, like you're
2: you so putting it out of context, right The first week is just for the like m- my side of the family, like close friends, dance practices and so on. Like nothing too major. Like, the second week is like the traditional wedding.
0: I mean, if I had my webcam right now, you'd just see like me miming a gun to my head, two weeks long, dancing <laughs> practice, just all these things sound perfectly awful.
2: Because you know, you say you don't want to like meet these people that you've only spoken to twice. Yeah. Or the longer your weddings, the more time you have to interact with people.
0: Yeah, that's exactly why I don't
2: have it two weeks. That's why it's going to be three days. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just thinking about demands. Like, um, Hasan, have you seen um, Bended Like Beckham?
1: Yes, I have. I saw it a while
2: ago. <laughs> oh, I was going to say because there's that there's that line I keep on remembering. Like, don't smile, eyes down, look <laughs> yeah. sad. Do you ever do you ever think about that, or do you think like is, is it a bit weird that all these people are super super happy because the traditional South Asian marriage is you know it's a very emotional sad day?
1: I think it's changed. I think it's changed. I, 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 get, I get where where that came from that uh, kind of instance, but uh, most of the weddings I've shot now, um, it's completely changed. There's just I guess there's more general happiness, which it should be in the room, uh when it shows on their faces. There's no more, you know, eyes down, look shy, and like all of that stuff. I think that's I think that's been kind of steamrolled on. Um nowadays, the bride and the groom there is just they're a more open with their emotions and there's no stereotypical, I guess, person that they have to be for their wedding, which is great because then you get the raw emotions.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's because of the gram. Nobody wants to look sad for their Instagram. They want to look happy. <laughs> so, getting away from weddings because I'm sure I will just have nightmares of all these things. We'll talk about sports because you are Canadian because that's where you're from. That's where you grew <laughs> up, and so you must be a Raptors fan because every Canadian is a Raptors fan
1: for oh, good reason. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm proud Raptors fan. I was always a Raptors fan. I didn't jump on the bandwagon. Oh
0: yeah, I, I still have a poster in my old house of the Vince Carter Invincible poster where he's like skying for a dunk. Yes,
1: that, that's that's the poster. Uh, like, I used to watch Raptors from, you know, back in the day, Antonio Davis, Marcus, oh, like yeah, all yeah. The, like back in the day, uh, and I've been watching and hoping. Oh, okay. it Damon happened. Stoudemire, back. Mighty Mouse? Yeah, exactly, Damon Stoudemire, back in the day, back in the late 90s, and I've been hoping and, you know, waiting for what happened last year to happen, I've waited, I don't know, how, and it was just a relief. It's just like, okay, now my life has come full circle, I can die happy, I've seen it all. <laughs>
0: Again. I mean you felt the same way, Hanek, when South Africa won rugby. I thought you
2: were about, I th- I about to say when we to Toronto won the NBA championship. Um, <laughs> no no, of course. I was like in full emotions, like unbelievably upset, happy, and immensely proud of a country that I am not really from, but am from at the same time. But you know, I just can't wait for you know, two years' time we have the Lions tour in rugby. We're going to beat the British and Irish Lions, and then in four years' time we have the next Rugby World Cup, and we're going to win that again. Like that's it. And every yeah. match in between, like South African rugby is—you do not lose. So I, I don't—I didn't have this twenty-four or twenty-five year waiting period for to see South Africa lift the trophy because you know. I've seen England lift the World Cup, so I, I claim that. I saw South Africa lift the World Cup in 2007, so I claim that as well. And you know, I saw South Africa claim it again in 2019. And in between, India's won some Cricket World Cups, so it's all been good on the sports I, side.
0: I think, like, over doing these podcasts, I've come to realize that I'm actually just a really bad fan. <laughs> because, uh, so I like the Patriots because I grew up in England. Uh, and then they won. They won three, and then they won the fourth. I was like, All right, "Guys, stop winning! Stop winning, please! It's getting boring." And then they kept winning, and now I don't like them anymore because they just keep winning. And uh, basketball, like I follow players instead of teams, so my favorite player is James Harden, and uh, like he always gets crushed by the Warriors. I was you so mean, happy got
1: last. Sixty time. points today, by the way.
0: Yeah, yesterday it was sixty points in three quarters. That was insane. In thirty-one minutes, it was awesome. And I mean, the commentators complain. And <laughs> the Atlanta commentators, because they suck. yeah. But, I mean, the Warriors, like, have been beating the Rockets up. So I was so happy last year when all the Warriors died, basically, and Toronto (laughs) won. (laughs) Even though I'm not, like, the biggest Kawhi fan, uh, Kyle Lowry played for the Rockets, so I was happy that Kyle Lowry won. I wish Damar won, though. But, I mean, that's life.
1: Yeah, that was tough. But, I mean...
0: They're still good this year, actually. Like, even though Lowry's been injured and Ibaka's been injured, like, they're actually still surprisingly good because Siakam has just become a total beast.
1: Wow, like Siakam, I mean Boucher, they're all they're like, be, the players that um you know weren't expected. They're really shining, and honestly, their record right now, fourteen, what fifteen, four now after today's game, they're 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 killing it. Oh yeah,
0: they're beating. Yep, yeah, fuck Utah. I used to be a Utah fan, and then I became a Rockets fan, and now I
2: hate Utah. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's see how the Chicago Bulls are doing quickly. Uh, very badly. Six to fourteen. So that's fourteen wins, right? Well, we'll pretend like it is. And then, uh...
1: <laughs> sure, why not?
0: <laughs> well, Derek Rose is playing for Detroit now, so you'd have to root for Detroit. And Detroit is also doing
2: bad. I was gonna say, uh, like, I know the. I'm sure the Bears are doing all right. Chicago Bears.
0: They're also doing very badly. All the Chicago teams are
2: very bad <laughs> right now. <laughs> what is the point of adopting a city that I've, I'm never gonna move to? Are they're going to be this bad. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's just
0: the life of a good sports fan. You just go through the rough times and then you celebrate for the good times, which for some teams Look at us. are never... We went
1: through the rough times in Toronto. It paid off.
0: I know. Vince Carter, T-Mac. That was such a good Raptors team. And then, uh, and then they got a good one. DeMar... Actually, one of the reasons I like DeMar Roderosa because that was the first year I played fantasy basketball and he won me that league because he was such a low pick. But he averaged like 25 for the first time ever. Yeah, so that's why I like to demar. And he was also a really crazy athlete. But now, nah, yeah, nah, no, he's... he
1: was he was great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but like obviously,
0: it's better to win a championship.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, doubt. Um, he was great. Don't get me wrong. He was a he's a great athlete. He still is. Um, but he just couldn't pull through with the structure that we had through the playoffs with him. Uh, where he was in that team.
0: So ever gotten courtside, hung up with, hung out with Drake and said, "Oh, yo, Drake, here's my new song."
1: <laughs> yeah i mean uh no no nah, no not yet
2: not yet not yet oh yeah that's the attitude you want to hear
0: soon soon <laughs> uh, um so i feel like it's not a true chinese podcast until we talk about food so uh we just had a thanksgiving so i will say i mentioned i made a pecan uh pumpkin pie with cardamom in it it was pretty good my parents liked it um what's in it cardamom cardamom right yes so what's your what's your favorite go-to meal from Pakistan, I guess? what are you, What's your favorite home-cooked meal, I suppose?
1: My favorite home-cooked meal is chicken curry. It's pretty much, uh, well, obviously chicken. And then you have, I don't know how to make it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to make it, but it's a gravy-based chicken curry. Okay. That's my go-to Pakistani food. I don't know how to make South Asian food. That's something I want to learn. I can make the, you know easy stuff like pasta and stuff but um never really learned how to do south asian food
0: do you have like a meal before you go into the studio that's like oh man i feel so good right now i'm gonna make this sick track
1: uh no no i don't have a meal before i go into the studio i usually bring my meal into the studio (laughs) oh
0: okay (laughs) uh
1: yeah and honestly um it has to be comfort food nothing nothing healthy like you know vegetables Mm and stuff like that i love vegetables don't get me wrong I love broccoli, but whenever I'm going in the studio, it has to be something comfort food, whether it's you know processed junk food, like chips and stuff, or um, not a full meal, because then I would rather be eating than making music. But yeah, it just depends. I mean, Doritos is a huge thing for me. <laughs> Doritos
0: is a big thing for me when I was a big gamer, and then I started <laughs> not eating them. But now like I, I binge out on ice cream when I want to binge, because ice cream is amazing. So last question. When are you coming to the States?
1: You know, I'm in the States often. My cousins are in New York, so I'm in New York every year. Okay. Uh, uh, Tour-wise, tour-wise, I really hope soon. um, Hopefully this uh, enough sound gets, you know, pulled up to 300K, maybe 3 million streams, so that'll offset some sort of gig for me. But last year, Osman and I were planning actually a tour. Uh, And mind you, it was just Canada tour. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm planning in the next year or so, in all seriousness, to get a to get a gig going, uh, at least a small mini tour, North American tour, um, and then and then we'll go from there. But I hope to be in U.S. at least uh, for performance-wise, for music-based in the next year or so. Let's hope so. Yeah, that'd be that'd
0: be amazing. And I'm not that far from New York, so I'd definitely come visit. Right on. Pretty sick. I'm a bit far from New York, so. (laughs) You- <laughs> no promises.
1: What company are you, Hanik?
0: I mean, Canada's technically a part of England, right? So I'm sure there's like some time travel teleportation device that the Queen has. We share the same head of state. It's the same place. <laughs> Basically. And uh, I guess if you're in Pakistan... Some- do you go- do you often go back to Pakistan to see um, the relatives?
1: I don't. I've been... Last time I went was, what, let's see, six years ago? I've never grew up there. Uh, yeah. I've only been there, you know, a handful of times for a limited amount of time. So I don't really, I guess, fit in. I do love the culture though, don't get me wrong, the experience is amazing. Uh, but it's just...
0: I've been- yeah, it's weird when you don't have friends there. It's like just relatives.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been to Pakistan enough, but I think I'd want to make use of my vacation and try to see other places. I mean, like I just went on a solo Euro trip backpacking for the last two months. Uh, which is a conversation for another time, uh, but I'd, I'd rather do things like that than go back to Pakistan at this current time. Maybe someday in the future.
0: What's what? A quick list of the places you went to in Europe. I'm sure Hanuk has been to most of them. I haven't been to that many places in Europe.
1: Uh, I, I highly doubt it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I went to. I started off in Barcelona. From Barcelona, I went to um, uh, Nice. From Nice, I went to Milan. Milan to Switzerland. From Switzerland down to Rome. I mean, Rome. Um it was um I took the Bernina Express up to what's that place in Switzerland it was where the olympics i forgot the name of it Lausanne no was it, it lugano w- no it wasn't i'm sure it oh
0: no it's geneva <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless it was it's it's the i think it's the highest point during in somewhere in the swiss alps um There's like a city there, Uh, I just completely slipped my mind right now, but that's where the Bernina Express comes and goes from St. Moritz, that's what it's called, St. Moritz. Oh, yes. Yes, and so I think Eastern Switzerland, Um, so that's where I was and then from there I went to Rome, was there for a few days, and then from Rome I was in Istanbul, Turkey, and then back home.
0: Just making note of all the places you're going for your big European tour.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right? I did, I did. I'm like, this is where I have to perform, this is where I have to perform.
0: Oh man, that would be so
1: sick. Oh yeah! If you if you haven't seen, just on a side note, sorry, it, you have to go to Turkey, Istanbul. Uh,
0: no. I've never been. It's amazing. My favorite place. I haven't been. I need to go, but just it's the problem with working as a coder. It's oh, well, I guess I can work remote. Yeah, that
1: day. <laughs> there you go,
0: Exactly. Well, listen. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time out to join us. Um, it was really great to talk with you about all your experiences and all your music and uh, where you hope to be in the future. And thanks so much for coming on and uh, giving us some of your time. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Uh, it's my pleasure, Kieran and Thank you for having me. Um, I am... Like You can find me online. My website is uh, hussinmusic.com, hssnmusic.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at hssnmusic, hussnmusic, youtube.com slash Um You can Google me, it's Hussin Music, and you'll probably come across the same thing on Spotify. It's hssn or Apple Music or whatever streaming platform you use. I'm kind of widespread all over the internet.
0: Great. Thanks so much. So uh, any last questions from you, Anik? Before we head out.
2: Nothing on my mind at the moment. No.
0: Alright, well, that's going to be it. So, usual places for Chai Noon. Chai Noon Show on everywhere except for Instagram, where it's separated by periods, and then com slash chai hyphen noon. I'll be actually posting some non-video uh, or clips uh, when I go to India next week, so be sure to follow that if you want me dying of food poisoning, which I'm sure will eventually happen. But that will be it for this episode thanks so much from all of us and uh we'll see you next time